0: Typically, this time of year, we are scratching, clawing, scraping for content. It is June. We are still about a dozen weeks away from football, uh, but today, here in episode number seven, Alliance Lions 24-7 podcast, we are all set. Perhaps the meatiest episode yet, ready to come to you, Andrew Callahan alongside Sean Fitz. Uh, we're going to give you a quick rundown and then get into said story. It's going to be the decommitment of Justin Fields taking up much of this episode. Some chatter from the recent camp Penn State had their first of the summer. Um, Iowa week is what we have going on on the site. A new kickoff time was announced. And of course, finally to get to your Penn State questions in the mailbag. Now, when I texted you last night about the field story, which broke at about nine fifteen, Sean, you were asleep. So I don't know. And typically, you know, any recruitment territory, we're going to you right off the bat. Maybe I should take this, but of course, you woke up and sense since uh, come to learn a few things about uh, Justin Fields decommitting. Five-star quarterback for those just catching up. Obviously, a pretty big deal here for Penn State. Yeah, if
1: you're on this podcast, you know who Justin Fields is. But yes, uh nine fifteen, two two young kids has wreaked havoc on my sleep habits, but uh, I thank you for covering. But yeah, uh, just a gut punch for Penn State's class. Still number five in the country, but... Fields was that marquee guy. He was the best player in the class. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt about the potential that Penn State had with him. You know, I talked to a few people. Uh, last night, one of them said that that kid's going to win a national championship where where he goes. That's how good he is. So um, it's it's really a tough loss for Penn State. Um, you know, at, at a position where you know they they've recruited fairly well. Uh, Trace McSorley obviously wasn't a highly touted kid. Tommy Stevens, a three star. Uh, you know, they had Brendan Wimbush for a while. Stevens ended up replacing him. Um, Jake Zembek, and uh, so a, a place that they've recruited. Fairly well, and they've gotten a little bit more out of Trace and Tommy than I think uh, most people expected. But uh, yeah, when you've got a kid like Fields committed, uh, he, he's a blue chipper for a reason. He's he's as good as any quarterback in the country. That includes Trevor Lawrence, and, mm-hmm. and it's a tough loss for Penn State. Uh, how do you stomach it? Uh, you, you know, the way that Penn State's offense played last year, I think you've got a chance to to turn around, um, try and convince Fields to come back, though history really not on, on Penn State's side with that, but try and convince Fields to come back into the fold or go after some guys maybe committed elsewhere, some guys that you had looked at early. Um, so I, I, I think we put up a list last night of, of guys. I'm going to get right into that. Uh, Quincy Patterson's a kid at Virginia Tech, uh, a Virginia Tech commitment out of Chicago, that, you know, I, I think a lot of they offered him the same day they offered Fields at camp last year, 6'4", 230, uh, big kid, can run well, uh, maybe a little bit more raw than Fields. I think he's going to get a four-star bump after his showing at the Elite 11 over the weekend. But uh, yeah, I think Patterson's probably one of the first calls you make. Is he interested? That's really tough to say. He committed to to, to Virginia Tech in February, I believe. Mm-hmm. Been one of the class leaders, a guy that uh, has really bought into what Justin Puente is doing down there. So, um, you know, do you go with uh, a guy who you may have to sell a little bit more, or do you, you turn to maybe a Devin Leary who's committed to NC State? Um, you know, he seems pretty happy committed to NC State uh, out of South Jersey. But at the same time, I mean, this is a, a Penn State offense is going to be as appealing to any in the country. I and mean, when you've got NC State, uh, Doran's on the high, on the hot seat down there, and many people have him maybe out after this year. So so Leary's another option. Um, has mm-hmm. loved Penn State for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think when you get into this, you got to find the fit for the offense. Those two guys are guys that jump out to me right away. Jace Ruder uh, is probably as hot as anybody in the country in terms of picking up offers. I think Florida State, Georgia. Uh, Old Miss, North Carolina have offered within the last month since he decommitted from Tulsa. So you can find quarterbacks a lot of times at this time of year. The the dominoes have already fallen. You're going to find them committed to other pro, uh, programs. But the good thing about the fields the, the fields decommitment, it's not December. It's not January. You've got some time to maybe bring some guys into camp. Of course, you 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 saw some guys during the spring evaluation period. You maybe like to see them a little bit closer in camp and you're not going to get Justin Fields. Uh, uh, again. I mean it, it, and that's you know that's beside the point that whether or not he comes back to me it. I I'm looking at comparing kids to Justin Fields there's just not going to be another Justin Fields out there that
0: you're going to uh pick and replace in the class sure. so
1: they're going to have some work to do from that aspect.
0: So taking it back from you know what the next step is to even before this occurred what was your sense cuz I had a couple people reaching out to me saying like oh this was obvious Do kind of that old retrospect and you know some revised history here and that it was obvious he was going to decommit you know you see his um, composite ranking skyrocket quite a talent all the offers coming in I didn't have that sense you know I wasn't in contact with him you know didn't have a great sense of his situation you know on the surface obviously it makes sense now but was there at any point where for you it looked like this this might be kind of coming up before obviously the news hit we we wrote a piece a month ago
1: actually actually I think a month ago today um about all the smoke behind fields and and there was you know there was reason to worry if you were penn state I think the 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 distance is a big thing the fact that it's it's not you know it's not Missouri coming after him <laughs> you know it's not uh yeah. Mississippi state coming after him it's Florida Florida state Alabama's in there Georgia of course whereas I think his sister's going to play softball lSU auburn. just heavy hitters from down South and that distance, you know, uh, it's a long way between here and Atlanta Um, and getting to state college, obviously not the easiest, something he's got to think about with his parents, with his, uh, with his friends and family that want to see him play. So I think that's something, even when he committed back in December, that's something that we talked about as potentially being an issue. I, I think just in the process today, these kids hear so much about, you know, maybe what they should be doing, what uh, what people think is the best for them, that they're they're, they're naturally going to second guess themselves, yeah. um, and when that distance is compounded with that, I think that's a big deal. Um, so you know, you could I don't want to say you could see it coming. Uh, there was a lot of no. smoke at the Elite Eleven over the over the weekend, but it, it's not out of nowhere. I mean, we've been talking no, about no. Justin We have a Justin Fields-related uh, recruiting thread on our board just for this instance. So I think that, um, you know, not out of nowhere, but uh, I think the timing, he, he, I probably thought he was going to stick a little bit longer if he was going to decommit.
0: Which at this point, you know, for all parties involved, you know, if you're Penn State or Justin Fields, it's probably better to rip the Band-Aid off sooner rather than later. And I think it's a combination of things you mentioned, you know, people getting injured, your But also it's, you know, now the situation from when he committed December 1st, to now has certainly changed for him in terms of offers, in terms of spotlight, in terms of attention, in terms of well, he he actually committed at that Iowa game in early November and okay, and it took another
1: three or so weeks to to announce and actually picked up his Georgia offer in the meantime after committing to Penn State and before announcing for Penn State. So a lot changed for them and you know it was kind of a thing to put in the back of your mind if you were if you were covering him that uh, you know these schools could be an option because he didn't have these options the first
0: time around. Right. Yeah. So all that attention you, you have new information to. Make. And base your decision off of, you know, I think it's something that all the kids going through this process one should do, you know, for him, obviously it's as much attention and interest as anyone has had in the country. And, you know, over the course of this upcoming season could very well be the best high school player uh, in the nation. So he's going to reopen that up and, and, you know, to his credit, however you want to put this, You know, when he was describing, I've decided to reopen my commitment. He said it was, and by no means a slight to Penn State, which I think speaks to you know this was a result of the changing circumstances and situation around him and him adjusting accordingly.
1: Yeah, and and I don't think Penn State's out. I think it's going to be a tough road, uh, uphill climb, especially with that distance. Uh, Going to check out Tallahassee, Gainesville. Um, probably head out to Auburn a few times as he grew up an Auburn fan. So, with these options there, I think there's no question that he's going to check these things out. Penn State would love to get him back for the Lash Bash in July. Will that happen? It's really tough to say. I mean, it's so far from um, there and, and it's tough to get to state college. I mean, it's, there's no way around it. We've talked about it. We travel in and out of state college all the time, it's not ideal. Um, You don't have the international airport that Columbus has, or you can't fly into Chicago for Notre Dame or Detroit for Michigan or anything like that. So it's tough to get to Penn State. And I think that's something that that factored in. And, you know, he's been committed so long. uh, You've just got everybody in his ear. Uh, you know, It's uh, he plays for Cam Newton and Cam Newton from what I understand is not recruiting him to Auburn but talks to him and advises him on recruiting. So, um, so you've got a lot of good in your ear, maybe a lot of bad in your ear. I think time is the biggest thing when you talk about that. You see the attention elsewhere. And it kind of, kind of wears on you. And that's recruiting today. It's a, it's a, an outright circus. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. It <laughs> yeah. keeps us in business, but uh, it is an outright circus. And it's, uh, it's crazy to see Penn State at this point, uh, a fantastic class still that's lost two five star commitments, and I think uh, you know, looking back to this this time last year, Penn State coming off back to back seven win seasons. Hey, it's it's been worse than State College.
0: Oh, for sure, and you know, again, they lose two five star commitments. They're still number five in the country currently, right now in the cycle, and we have a poll up on the site asking will they finish number five? Figuring at some point they're going to rebound with you know a dozen recruits or so uh, trending towards Penn State right now in the twenty four seven sports crystal ball so they'll pick up some more obviously other programs will too whether they get to top five top 10 top 15 many months down the road um before we find that out with the early signing period and then the eventual uh national signing and, day and with this offense they're, they're gonna find a quarterback well it? And, and i think it gets overlooked with all of justin field type but sean clifford's coming in and another elite 11 guy four-star prospect who is you know was the first commitment of his class and is not going to make an impact with tommy stevens and trace mcsorley here but with that time to learn and practice I think mean, could could really Really be a play for that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Once Clifford gets healthy, I mean, he's he's shown that he's a winner. He's uh, you know, they love these scrappy guys, and 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 we're not going to compare Justin Fields to you know the quote unquote three star guys, Trace McSorley, Tommy Stevens. Uh, fields uh, loads more physical talent and everything like that and he's great in the classroom as well but yeah you can find quarterbacks that can win in your system and I think that's the biggest thing Uh, whether that's a a four-star guy that's committed to another program right now whether that's a guy you want to come in and and see camp I mean they offered two 2019 kids in camp last week so you can find guys that you like that can come work out for you can come to camp and and, uh,
0: you know, it's just a, unfortunately for them, they're a little bit behind the eight ball time-wise right now. You mentioned camp, a couple kids getting offered, even some interest, uh, with some 2020 prospects. So really quickly – um, what were the highlights from this past weekend well it was a, uh, it was a smaller camp, not surprising for the first camp of
1: the season. Of course, Penn State was on the road uh you know went down south for a camp last week and also was in Texas and Tennessee and georgia and you know just all over the place but uh yeah, the camp on campus uh fairly solid, but I think what it goes back to is you're pretty much um, finished with your evaluations for 2018 kids. There, w- there will be some senior risers that uh, inevitably pop on the radar, mm-hmm. like a Journey Brown last year or mm-hmm. something like that. But um, you know, you're know, you looking to 2019-2020 kids, Jalen Berger from uh, North Jersey, which by the way, North Jersey well represented at the camp. Uh, saw Don Bosco kids, Bergen Catholic kids, uh, just um, DePaul kids as well. I think that's a uh, a hat tip to EJ Barthel, a new guy in the staff. Mm-hmm. He's tremendous co- uh, connections in North Jersey, so uh, getting those guys in, I think, is is going to pay dividends in the long run. But uh, Jalen Berger was just on another level. Uh, twenty twenty kid showed up late, came in, ran a four six, did a nine eight broad. Uh, just a kid that is so physically impressive, so young in his high school career. He worked out with Charles Huff personally. So they gave him an offer shortly after camp, and I don't think that surprised anybody. Um, They did offer a couple quarterbacks, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Max Duggan came in from Iowa. Uh, he's a guy that runs that RPO in high school. He's got a nice little arm. Uh, rival, uh, excuse me, a 24/7 Sports. Ow, that's a terrible uh, misstep there. 24/7 Sports four star. <laughs> Two um, kids, little sleep. We'll go back yeah, to that. Yeah, let's for go it. back to that. Uh, 24/7 Sports four star. Duggan is. Um, he's a guy that I think fits that pro st- uh, that that profile of what they like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Garrett Schrader, who uh, is coming onto the radar, as one of the hotter kids in the country. Reminds me a little bit of Artie S- Sitkowski. Um, down who's a who's a Miami commit. He's from Jersey plays at IMG, uh, taller kid uh, can move around a little bit he's not going to kill you with his legs, but um, can throw the ball. Well, uh, picked up a pit offer, picked up, I think an old Miss offer. So he's kind of on, uh, on the upswing right now, when you're talking about 2019 commits, um, they'll have another go this weekend with another team camp or excuse me, with another camp. And then the team camp is the following weekend and another elite camp before the, uh, the July dead period goes into effect. So They will uh, get a chance to, um, you know, going back to the Fields thing for a second because everything I think is going to circle back to Justin Fields on this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, They'll get a chance to maybe get some of those 2018 kids into camp and see what they can do. And you've got a little bit of time um, now to maybe get some national kids, maybe bring them out in July uh, when they're going to have some camps around uh, the Lash Bash uh, recruiting barbecue. Uh, which is july 15th they're going to have a chance to maybe get some of those kids in and, and see if you can't get one of those upper echelon guys to come in and work out for
0: you and see what see what you got right huge weekend for them coming up in july um and we mentioned the fields news being very recent the camp back last weekend between that we had news that was supposed to lead this podcast georgia state week last week but now we know when the georgia state game is going to kick off and it's our first night game at beaver stadium seven thirty. uh a lot of uh Head scratching going on, some outrage amongst their fellow media members that it's a little too late for this kick. But let's just remember that a lot of Get these decisions, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> just comes down to TV. I mean, it's about money. You know, you want to know why all these things are done, or kickoff times are delayed, or when they're announced, or what times they are. It comes down to money, and these are all decisions that are made, you know, out of hands that we're typically looking at in terms of players, coaches, administrators. And it's at seven thirty. You know, I, I don't know why fans might want to. Uh, complain you have more time to tailgate but you know if if you expected a noon kick and planned accordingly already then obviously that throws off those plans yeah I think
1: I think the biggest the biggest thing is somebody's coming up for a noon kick maybe bringing their kids or something like that I think I mean I'm stunned that it's a 7 30 but you know I think the cool thing is you know you don't get a chance to see Beaver Stadium at night unless you shell out a ton of money for Ohio State Michigan tickets or something like that Mm. so I think it's a good opportunity for those guys that want to come in and, and check out Beaver Stadium for a night game Get a little bit more time to tailgate. My dad uh, is going to set up a tailgate, I'm sure, for the lines. for those of you that don't follow along. He's just a a master tailgater, and everybody's invited all the time, and he's he's crazy. Tremendous. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity. Um, You know, I, I don't think it's ideal to play Georgia State at 730, especially coming off the pit week. But, you know, it, it is what it is. You got a chance for your team to grow, to uh, assimilate to that atmosphere, and, to, to, and they may have to use it later on in the year if, if Michigan is indeed going to play at night.
0: No, for those of you planning, I mentioned this last episode, so keep it brief. Looking at Georgia State as it is, new coaching staff, a lot of different players, I like that team a little bit better than Akron, which will be a noon kick for the season opener. You know, very little beats the anticipation of a season opener. But if you're looking for a quality of game, I might say – Go week three, come enjoy the night game. If you can stomach that kind of late hour, you'll be leaving. Uh, I think it could be a little bit closer. But you mentioned, you know, it's not ideal waiting all that time to play Georgia State. The turnaround then, thus, is quicker for Iowa, which will be the next week in their first road game. It's Iowa preview week right now on the site. Um, and doing breakdowns of how Penn State will match up with them, in addition to some series history. Series history recently has been pretty kind to Penn State.
1: Yeah, especially after the first part of the uh, the century then when when Iowa kind of owned Penn State. But uh, yeah, I think Penn State uh, last year just I, I was a little bit surprised at how badly they beat them. Especially when you take take into consideration the very next week when Iowa beat Michigan. Um, you know, just. Killed them on the edge with speed, and Iowa. I think you're going to get a typical Iowa team, a Kirk Ferentz team, every single timeout. Um, mm. You know, they're not going to be the fastest team, but they're going to they're going to have some strength up front, and they have that again this year.
0: Yeah. So last year. Big forty-one to fourteen win at Beaver Stadium. I remember that point spread was was certainly one score, and I think it shrunk as we got closer to kickoff. Yeah, they ran them out, ran them out of the stadium, and man. it was instantaneous. Like no slow start. You had a touchdown. Saeed Blacknall had a double move on Desmond King, who's now gone. You know, I was coming back with a defense that's got six returners, uh, six starters back in the front seven. And now the secondaries. You know, missing King and company with the exception of free safety. So I think you'll get a little bit stiffer test um, for Penn State's offense going on the road and then again facing that front seven because Saquon Barkley ran up more than 200 yards uh, by himself through the air and on the ground. You know, defensively, I think Penn State will have a better time. Uh, they've got a new quarterback coming in. They're totally devoid of weapons on the outside. Akron Wadley's a really good running back for them. And again, the strength, as you mentioned, is always going to be that offensive line, that continuity. So this is your dad's Iowa team. This is your granddad's Iowa team. They're going to slow it down. They're going to run the ball and, and hopefully, ultimately, to run the clock out, uh, which is almost, you know, effectively what they did with a couple of turnovers last year against Michigan.
1: Yeah, Wadley, I think is a very good back. Um yes. he can get them things done. I think he scored on a screen pass last year so he can do it as a receiver as well. Uh it it will be a stiff test regardless of the, of who's the quarterback there. Um you know, I don't think Iowa's ever beaten anybody throwing the ball just repeatedly. So uh, you're going to have a, a, a the same test that you you you're expecting from an Iowa team. So You know, I I still expect expect Penn State to be favored and I expect Penn State to win, but at the same time, it's, it's a tremendous test on the road. We've talked about Iowa and Northwestern. Being under overlooked games, uh, you know, for, on the schedule moving forward. So, and it should be a fun one. Um, you know, Iowa's a, a quality opponent, especially when they're playing out there. Uh, so, it's going to be, I think, a, a great early test. And we talked a little bit last week about what you expect coming out of the first three weeks. Mm. You know, that's that that's a step up in competition, no doubt.
0: It is, and I think that plays also to Penn State's advantage. You know, we're going to hear so much about they've got to go out and prove it on the road leading up to that kickoff. But I think in the fact that they can rotate more guys in over the previous three weeks against the likes of an Akron and Georgia state, you know, probably seeing more first teamers against Pitt. Uh, but you can also save good chunks of your playbook, which you're naturally going to do, you know, only being a fourth into the season at that point. But when you're going on the road and playing an Iowa team that obviously, you know, is at home revenge factor, all that, you know, the tweaks and the new concepts we've heard about getting Saquon Barkley in the outside, I mean, he's such a mismatch. As good as their linebacking core is, for those guys in Neiman and Bull Bauer, uh, Josie Jewell in the middle is going to be one of the best linebackers in the country, probably a third straight season with more than 100 tackles. But, you know, he had a receiving touchdown last year. I mentioned going over 150 yards on the ground. I think we'll see some of those new concepts come to fruition in week four, and obviously we'll play the Penn State's advantage.
1: And I think the biggest thing when you're looking at who's going to be tested the most, that defensive line, uh, you know, they're yes. going to see a couple of Division I def- offensive lines in front of them, but I think, you know, Pitt is going to take a step back. I'm not mm-hmm. completely familiar like you are with Akron and Georgia State up front, but I don't see them being on the level of Pitt, even though the Pitt will take a hit. So, that's going to be a, a real big test for Penn State. Um, you know, defensively, Givens and, and and Kurt and Parker, Cothran, and uh, the, the 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 pronunciations are killing me these days. But yeah, <laughs> it's up, up up the middle, um, up front is going to get a test against Iowa. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody.
0: Now you mentioned Northwestern and Iowa being overlooked. Something we've mentioned here uh, a couple times in the podcast. At this stage, and we're only going to know more as the season gets here and then progresses. Is Iowa? Outside of Ohio State, the toughest road game for Penn State, you think, this season? I think
1: so. Um, you know, it, it's a tough atmosphere. Um, whether, I, I, I don't know that it's going to be, that kickoff time hasn't been announced to my... No,
0: advantage. and that was something I alluded to, or I wrote about last week, was I think that now that Ohio State's at 3.30, they might have only one primetime game being Michigan, which is almost a shoe in But if there's a second, I think this game might be it. So yeah. it's any yeah. wide-ranging kickoff. Tough place to play at night asked Jim Harbaugh. And
1: uh, yeah, it'll be, it, it'll be, I think the toughest test, um, especially with Northwestern being a noon kick. Cause Iowa's obviously not going to be a noon kick. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it will be the toughest test on the road outside of Ohio state and you know, tough place to play. And you're going to learn a lot of, probably a lot about your football team that you didn't have a chance to learn in the three previous weeks. Yeah.
0: I think it's interesting. I, I think I would lean Northwestern right now at this stage, just considering they returned more starters than anybody else in the Big Ten and, and had a good campaign last year. But just think how bad
1: Iowa looked against Penn State and how solid they looked against Michigan. I think it you know if you can get two different teams out of that, it's I think that's a big well, deal. Well,
0: I, I think absolutely and it was a change at home, but also for them they lose so much production offensively. You know, people were were laughing about C. G. Beathard becoming a third round pick, but they also lose some wide receivers and in terms of return production, which is this fantastic new stat produced by SB Nations, Bill Connolly. They're 125th in terms of FBS teams, in terms of returning production. So not only counting starters, but weighing them appropriately in terms of the importance and then how much they bring to the table. So for a frame of reference, we were talking about Michigan. People look at how much they've lost offensively. It's like Wilton Spate and an entire new offense. They are about 10 spots ahead of Iowa on that list of returning production and have an expected point change. Now They're expected to score about one or two points fewer Next season, I was expected to score about a touchdown less than they did last year. Now, a lot of question marks, who's going to be the quarterback and the receivers, but I think that step back... Will ultimately, hurt them, particularly if Penn State gets an early lead. So you're saying the over/under is not going to rely on the Hawkeyes issue? <laughs> no, it will be how many touchdowns does Tommy Stevens want to score in garbage time? Um, but uh, if they wow. even get there, no, wow. it's again because you know what? Again, turn that Michigan game was a couple of turnovers, special teams play, and then you saw the game-winning kick uh, nailed at the end. So again, it's early in the season; it's on the road. All these different things can happen. I would not be, you know, I'd be surprised if Penn State lost at Iowa, but I think if you're looking at you know which roster gives you a stiffer test atmosphere side. It's Northwestern without question, and then you add the atmosphere in. I just don't think it makes up for that gap between the two rosters. And no
1: question, you've looked at Iowa more than I have, and I'm probably playing to that Iowa stereotype a little bit more, just because they're always a tough they're they're a tough out. Well, no I said difference. it's your
0: granddad's Iowa team, so you have reason to do that. But also, hey, good news is North- that old man North- North- Northwestern uh, preview week is is going to come up, so you can read about all the stuff that we'll have. Uh, I think probably. Towards the end of the month. Yeah, we got Indiana next week and then uh, Northwestern after that. Uh, But we've spent too much time in the Hawkeyes now because, again, of course, it is still June. So it's time to get to your favorite part of the podcast. We have our mailbag. You get to pick the questions this week. Uh, What do we have leading off? We have which
1: redshirt freshman will make the biggest impact this year. And I want to talk about the redshirt freshman class in general. Um, I think it's a. I think it's a pretty talented class. Penn State had the uh, ability to redshirt some guys. Of course, Miles Sanders played right away. Connor McGovern, you needed to play right away. Um, but they they had the opportunity to, to redshirt most of those guys. Um, of course, Blake Gilligan, uh, who we don't mention enough, crushed it. Yeah, uh, just phenomenal. So they they have had an opportunity to get some of those guys bigger, and I think it's it, it's paid off. Um, the two guys that we look at in terms of standing out and, and making a huge impact this year. I got Michael Mennon on the offensive side. You love Shane Simmons to death, apparently. Well, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm very curious where that comes from. You've been talking about him being the sack leader for for weeks now, but uh, I don't on here. Yeah, on here. Yeah,
0: I think I might have. Th- no, I threw out Kevin Givens just last week. Right, right. And Shane Simmons was your dark horse, I believe. But well, if we're just talking about you know pass rush, but you are right. If I'm looking at this red for redshirt freshman class and trying to pick one guy who would think is going to make that impact. I mean, whether you want to look at the pedigree he had coming in, um, or the chances he'll have in that pass rush rotational situation, if not bumped up to start over the loss of Sickles and um, Schwan from a year ago, you know, the opportunities there and the talent is so you know, that intersection should produce. Yeah, I don't think there's any question Simmons
1: can have an impact this year. I think it's probably more a little bit about the guys in front of him with with uh Torrance Brown and Sharif Miller and Buck Holtz and, and them, but he'll have his opportunity to get out there. And I think he's probably a little bit closer than, than Shaka Tony, who... You know, could be a situational guy that can be a stand-up DN that can make some some things happen in that aspect. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, when you look across this retro freshman, uh, I'll go back to Mennett in a second. But when you look across the defense, you've got guys that are able to get a little bit bigger. Ellison Jordan, when when he's healthy, which he wasn't last year, um, you know, he's he's turned some heads. Uh, Daniel Joseph needs to get healthy as well, but he's got a, a immense potential as a defensive uh, defensive lineman. Um, Cam Brown should have redshirted. Zach McPherson and, and and TJ Johnson in the secondary. Johnson had a great spring game. You've got an opportunity for the, those guys to come along. Uh, of course, Lamont Wade's going to step in and I think probably play in front of both of them, but you know, you've, you've got, uh, most of your talent from this class. So was, was tied up in the trenches, which is, I think is something they need. Um, beyond Mennett, Will fries, Alex Gellerstead coming along. Um, so, um, Ellison Jordan, Antonio Shelton, we're just uh, kind of naming everybody here. Yeah. But I think a good opportunity for those guys to take a year, sit back, learn what it's like to be in the program, and learn from winning, which I think is probably an understated thing. Sure, uh, You learn from watching these guys win, and, and it can benefit your program immensely in the long haul. So you got an opportunity to get those guys up to speed, up to size, and and, and I think you'll be okay. You saw Mennett come in, I think, around 290 probably 305 right now. So he's got an opportunity to play guard. He, you know, he's, he, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to be the starter heading into the year. Uh got hurt in the spring. So, He's going to have an opportunity to get into that rotation. I think that's the biggest thing that you can ask as a redshirt freshman to sort of crack that rotation. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, and we talk about Bennett, uh A guy like Will Fries could end up. Uh, you know, we weren't talking at all about Chaz Wright last year. Chaz Wright ended the year as a starting right tackle. Injuries do happen, especially up front. So Will Fries is a guy that could, could come in and you know maybe be uh, you know. It probably wouldn't be ideal, but maybe be a, a starter by the end of the year. So there's guys that can make an impact. I think this is a class that you can bring along slowly and they'll be okay based on the way that they've built the roster. And, you know, it'll be fun to watch them develop because there's some guys that have a, a ton of potential that that got to sit out. And we saw what a red shirt year did for Ryan Bates a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. can you get that out of Mennett? Can you
0: get that out of Fry's? I think it'll it'll benefit those guys up front on both sides of the ball immensely. Good class. Good question. Probably overlooked uh, to this point. You know, all the true freshmen you know, were enrolled early, making some impacts, and obviously a veteran team, but some of these guys stepping up uh, who couldn't a year ago, you know, just might make the difference in terms of a key third down here, or uh, should injuries hit, as yeah. they did last year in yeah, spots and, up front.
1: And you can add McPherson and Johnson and guys like that to, to special teams and make your team better. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're looking to improve. Uh, you know, probably 40 through 60 right now, as opposed to one through 25 on your roster. So I think that's where where redshirt freshmen come in. And they've done a good job over the last couple of years coming in and, and covering kicks. And, you know, no no disrespect to the walk-on guys that do a, a really good job. But, you know, when you've got scholarship athletes covering kicks, it's, that's a big deal. And it's a big difference. And, and we've talked about their, how their numbers have improved on special teams, how field position has improved. And I think that that's uh, something that you got to tip your hat to and, and, and look at roster building as a way that that's come along.
0: So Penn State, uh, on a separate note, has had another cash infusion here for the uh, ongoing Lash building renovations. $1.75 this time. Question is, what items do we think would be earmarked uh, first at Lash We've heard James Franklin talk about this a lot. Each of us spent time on the coach's caravan. We've been around James Franklin. He's talked yeah, about facilities. Yeah, you know. he's he's opened his mouth, and, and we've been there for
1: for a lot. Of well, it. Ira Lubert opened his checkbook again. Uh, yeah, it's sure. just uh, incredibly generous uh, to to Penn State, when both football and wrestling, and uh, you know anywhere else that they need his money. But uh, yeah, I mean, Lash is still behind, uh, no doubt about it. We've talked about this a few times. Uh, Position rooms, uh, that whole second level, which is where the coaches' offices, um, you know, uh, the head coach office got a little bit of an overhaul when when O'Brien came in. But still, I mean, that they're they're working with uh, the same thing that uh, Dick Anderson and Bill Kenny worked with you know, 10 years ago. So I think, um, you know, coaches' offices are going to be uh, a priority. Position meeting rooms are going to pr- be a priority. Player lounge is something that you can always improve that I think is going to be um, – it's gonna go back to that return on investment that Franklin talked about in the in the in the uh, coach's caravan you're going to get more looks from better players if you have better facilities and And you can talk about the flash and, you know, the glitz and glamor and you don't want these guys that are in uh, that are brought in by facilities. Actually you do, you know, these, yeah, to some
0: degree, that's exactly what you want.
1: Yeah. I mean, who, who's got the best facilities in the country? You got Alabama, Clemson's getting there, you know, Ohio state has fantastic facilities. Oregon's, uh, you know, was in the championship game a couple of years ago. So, you know, it it's gonna, I think it's going to come back to return on investment and pay off. And, um, yeah, I think when you're taking a look and knocking these things off, and it's and it's not going to get them all the way they want to be, and they've done a nice job with what they've had so far, but you know you continue to upgrade that lash building, it's it's going to help you in recruiting, it's going to help you. Um, in efficiency and coaching, and I think that it's it's gonna just help a little bit overall. And they're gonna continue to try and raise that money to get where they need to get or get where they want to get uh, to take this this uh, this facilities
0: drive to the next level. And I think another part that's been mentioned, you know, outside of the physical building itself, but those practice fields, you know, I think it was they were supposed to be replaced nine years ago. Franklin said uh, on multiple occasions over the coaches' So You talk about return on investment, you know, improving parts of your facility that are used, you know, m- most days by. Everyone on the staff and, and, of course, on the team, uh, I think there's your most immediate and long-standing uh, return on investment. But, you know, that that's for them to decide and we'll see. But we have heard... You it's know, not our money. Yeah. <laughs> so That <laughs> would go to different places had it been in, uh, in our hands. Might be able to upgrade our own uh, writer's lounge that we have here in the uh, luxurious basement. I know you love looking at the Don Mattingly poster, but... Uh... Well, today's not so bad given how events transpired last night. Little Red Sox... Uh, Yankees rivalry going on Ah, within the staff. There it is. But this is, yeah, you know, I was going to have to sneak in at some point. This being recorded on Wednesday, I don't know how tonight's game is going to go before this post on Thursday. (laughs) Well, hopefully, they make you look like an idiot. (laughs) uh, Closing the
1: podcast this week, we just started a new series. Uh, Check it out. I know it's a gallery. Bear with us, but it's it's got some meat to it. So you know, you can click on it. It's okay. Uh, We went through number by number. I think this is going to be a fun series. uh, You know, as we get through the dog days of summer, um, to to go through. Uh, every player on the roster by number, talk about what their projected role is going to be, talk about uh, where they can fit in, how they can help the team out this year. I think it's going to be fun getting into the 30s and 40s and and the walk-ons and things like that, because there's some great stories on this team. And, um, you know, you started off Christian Campbell, uh, number one starting cornerback. I think that's a good place to start because we probably don't talk about Campbell enough. He's got a great opportunity in front of him. Um, of course, John Reed's going to go, you know, you're not going to have John Reed this year. So Campbell, I think probably has the opportunity to take himself from a third starter role to a guy that can potentially get drafted uh, based off of his athletic credentials. He's just got to right. put, put together a little bit of film this
0: year. Yeah. Measurables guy uh, played almost 50 percent of the snaps for Penn State a year ago, which would probably surprise. But, you know, he was in there a lot uh, due to injury. And then, of course, you know, in a lot of sub packages and in you know they needed him quite a bit against USC there in the Rose Bowl, and all those corners, you know, had, had struggles there from time to time. I mean, you give up 52 points; it's just a matter of you're playing an elite offense. Uh, but you know, you, you saw flashes there where if he can continue and find that consistency, which comes from one thing, and that's reps, which he hasn't had as much up until last year, and now with a full, healthy off season, which we've heard he had among the best off seasons on the team, uh, it'll be a matter of you know how does that unfold. Uh, as the season starts and then you know you're getting that starting spot week after week after week and I think he also brings something different to that cornerback group in that you know you'll see Grant Haley, Lamont Wade probably coming in on the slot, a couple other guys in the mix like McPherson um, you know but him and TJ Johnson longer more physical corners who also can kind of bring it and keep it up speed wise, Monty Orwarie also in the mix there but for a guy who can handle taller wideouts now plugged in permanently in the starting lineup it's a, it's a new dynamic for Penn State.
1: Yeah and that's something they've been looking for and, and you can you can Absolutely, have a five eight, five nine star cornerback. No doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, John Reed. <laughs> but every single coach is out there looking for the six foot, six foot one guy with the with the eagle wingspan and everything like that. So Christian Campbell is as close as they have to that uh, on the roster. And I think you know when you combine his athleticism, like an eleven foot broad jump and, and things like that, he he certainly has all the tools. And 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 you hate to to play with hindsight here man, he could have used a red shirt season. Uh, he came in and played right away. Of course, he spent some time hurt. Um, so he could have really used that red shirt year. And I think in hindsight, they'd love to have it back. But, you know, you you, you don't get that. So uh, moving on, we're not going to hit everybody one through nine or whatever that we did the other day. But a guy that fascinates me, DeAndre Tompkins, has an opportunity, but he also has the potential to to be passed up by some of these other guys on the outside. Uh, came in for Blacknell last year when Blacknell got hurt in the, open, in the season opener. Played well, but I don't think that he was as consistent as you would hope to to have from your starting Z receiver. So he's got an opportunity to 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 make his case for that spot. But they, they've got Juwan Johnson. They've got Blacknell. They've got Deshaun Hamilton, who can, who can play on the outside. They've got Irvin Charles, who, if he gets his thing together, can, can be a, a very good wideout. So Tompkins... You know has an opportunity to stay out there and and be that guy, but uh you know with a lot of weapons this is this is about to see so i'm I'm curious your thoughts on
0: on where he can fit and if he can stick as that guy on at the z i I think he can and I think we'll see a lot of him this year um because not only he can play the z but also inside, and that long speed you know provided such a threat as as i Blacknells did, but you know when you look at the two, even just going kind of game log wise you know I think the consistency lied more with Tompkins than it did with blacknell i mean outside of that. You know, humongous game that he had in the Big Ten championship. With Penn State needed every catch that he had. You really did not hear a lot from him, and I think it, of course, had to do with injuries and then Tompkins' emergence. But you know, you want a guy who's a bit more. Uh, well rounded at times if you need to serve different roles in the event of an injury. And I think Tompkins brings that, you know, he's six foot, tremendous speed, as I mentioned, plays inside and out, you know, he's gonna work his tail off and, and has shown steady progress. So I think, you know, provided the injury bug doesn't bite again, you have every reason to believe that they've got four wideouts now they feel good about and, and that he should be on the field when they go to three wideouts, you know, almost hundred percent of the time and he'll be one of those three guys, you know, again barring unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, and he's he's developed a lot since he got here.
1: Um he was a speed guy coming in a special teams guy was a punt returner as a as a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. That redshirt year was tough for him. I, I think he had a tough time, you know, stepping out of the the, the small pond that he was in into the Big Ten. So just uh, getting used to the workouts and and getting used to, you know, taking a backseat to other people and letting them learn. That was tough for him, but at the same time, I think it really helped him in the long term talked to Josh Gaddis last summer and he said that, man, this guy this guy's really made some strides. He's really gonna help us out, and be our fourth guy going into the year. So he's really developed and I think we'll continue to see some of that development from just a speed guy to a guy that can can
0: can do some things as a route runner. Another guy who fits that profile, not a wide receiver, but a speed guy, Jarvis Miller, uh, your number nine player, of course, because he wears the number nine. He's now a backup Sam linebacker after playing safety last year. Made some transition. You're going to see him primarily on special teams, but if Cole Farmer goes down again, all the linebackers just fell a year ago. He'd be thrust in there, and and could be a real tricky. But depending on his development um you know fortunate spot for, for Miller to find himself in yeah and
1: that's that's what's fun about this series we're not we're not going to talk about the other number 9 cuz we'll talk about him every single day from here on to the season but yeah Miller is a guy that uh ha- has really taken to that change at linebacker or changed to linebacker was a safety probably you know a little bit long, lanky, and i 'm not going to say slow for slow for safety, but slow to react, and you put him in the box, and all of a sudden he's a different athlete uh, he's put on some weight, I think he's up over two twenty i'm not sure what he's listed at right now, but he looks the part as a linebacker right now. I think everyone was just kind of sitting there waiting for him to take that next step with his body to fill out to 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 get where he needed to be to eventually be a linebacker. And that's what you're going to see from, from this staff is they're going to recruit safeties that are going to turn to linebackers recruiting Quantel Reigns right now out of Aliquippa, who's mm-hmm. a safety, but he's also 6'3", 200 pounds already. Uh, nature has a way of making these things happen. So I think Miller's a guy that you know you probably won't see a ton of or you don't want to see a ton of just right. yet because that means some guys in, are in front of him. But we saw in the spring game, he had, he had a little bit of explosion off the edge. He was able to get to the quarterback. Still got to learn to play that position. But at the same time, you, know, you can get athletes there at that field linebacker position, and I think you're going to be okay.
0: And last time we saw him on the field, blue-white game, seven tackles and a sack.
1: Yeah, he and Farmer both had, uh, I think, sacks right away or something like that. So, yeah, uh, right now I think he's strictly an attack guy. He's a guy that can go after the quarterback. I don't know if you if you want him out there doing everything you asked Brandon Bell to do last year or Manny Bowen to do last year. So uh, you get him out there, you rush the quarterback, I, I think you can have him right now. But, uh, yeah, core special teamer, a guy that's going to cover kicks, um, and a guy that's going to provide depth as he continues to learn the
0: position. You might actually, you know, you found yourself a player in Jarvis Miller. And in terms of... You know, inspiration or a template for him, the guy ahead of him is exactly what you want to follow. You know, co Farmer, again, a guy who made that transition a couple times, now stuck at linebacker, but was thrust into a role and, and thrived, as he mentioned, attacking, getting after the quarterback, and just, you know, relying on his speed and athleticism to carry him to success. And, and Farmer played well last year and um, is a big reason why he'll be uh, starting it ahead to next season. So... For next episode, we're going to be moving on to previewing uh, Indiana, of course, more recruiting talk, and then also we'll have some more this series going ten through nineteen. special preview there. Can't wait! Uh,
1: yeah, we've got uh, some some duplicate numbers to, have, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. fun. Brandon
0: Polk leading off. Yes, it's supersonic. <laughs> we'll see you next week.